Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that it's about providing tools for parents and other caregivers uh, in which these tools are to help people support their child's success in growing up, whether it be about those pubertal changes, those mental and emotional health changes, social changes, et cetera. So there's so much that's covered in this podcast in which today's episode is going to focus on how parents can best navigate these years, in which I have a wonderful guest. I'm just meeting for the first time, and her name is Cynthia Mucknick. She has written the book, The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. Thank you so much for being here today, Cynthia. Would you like to say hi to our guest? Hi, thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm excited to get into talk about the tween and teen years and how we can best navigate those as parents. And I'm looking forward to our conversation so much too. I I really appreciated when I received a copy of your book and thank you for having the individual send it to me. I really appreciated seeing that word wellness in the title. Because that's truly who I am as a health educator and as a person. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your background, Cynthia? Sure. Um, Gosh, I started my career almost 30 years ago, actually in college admissions. So I worked in a university, a couple of universities, actually screening applications, interviewing students, uh, recruiting students, doing college fairs, all those things, and really fell in love with these teenage years and these teenage kids and what they were going through. And Uh, As I became a mother myself, I transitioned into working at home as a private college counselor, also called an educational consultant. So I had my own practice for about 20 years, working with uh, tweens and teens, really navigating school, navigating, you know, any kind of questions that arose that were academic, wellness, um, you know, social, emotional, all of that. And I just feel like this age group is my favorite, personally, my, the most exciting. Um, I also have raised four kids of my own. I have a 25, 22, 18, and 16-year-old. So I've been in the trenches with many of my clients, um, you know, wearing the mom hat and wearing the college counselor hat. So the goal of um, this book and the idea of focusing on wellness was really important um, to me and my co-author, Jen Curtis. Jen's background, um, she's an MSW, but she also has been an educational consultant for 15 years. And uh, we, you know, realized that there was just as much needed on the mental health side as there was on kind of the academic and um, school side. So we partnered together to kind of address all of that in, in this book. Wonderful. Now, before we jump to the book and about raising children, do you remember anything about when you were going through puberty and that other stuff, when you were going through those preteen and teen years that you'd like to share with us. And maybe that's what made you even more passionate about working with this age group. 
Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm not asked that very often. So in thinking back, it's funny what's what's gone across the news headlines lately are the new this new Judy Bloom movie. Are you there? God, it's yes. me, Margaret. And mm-hmm. I certainly had my own stack of those Judy Bloom books. Uh, you know, I had two older sisters as well to kind of consult on all things female. But I would say um, kind of the most awkward time in those tween and teen years might have been the Dorothy Hamill haircut. Um, that was like the bull haircut that could also be feathered (laughs) back. And, um, you know, back then that was pretty stylish, but when I show my kids, they're like, wow, mom, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, just say, you know, a lot of those sort of typical, awkward, uncomfortable things that we sometimes feel in those years definitely happened to me too. But um, also wonderful things like first love and, you know, feeling like I was growing into my skin and my voice and, you know, feeling like I could be kind of an independent young person, um, you know, making some of my own choices. So I would say that part was very liberating. I would say the the icky or weird, uncomfortable stuff is probably typical of what we were all going through a generation ago. And, And I would say, obviously, that's even compounded much more now in this generation, which um, it's heartbreaking. So uh, I think it would be, you know, incredibly challenging to be a teen right now. And I applaud these kids that are, you know, um, pushing through and, you know, being resilient. And, you know, I think the parental support that we're seeing in all the headlines is really key. If you lock in as a parent, all the data tells us that that is one of the best things that you can give your teenager and your kids for their mental health is just a trusted adult that connects with them. Sometimes it's not the parent. Sometimes it's a teacher or a coach or, you know, a a religious leader, you know, some other advisor in their life too. It doesn't always have to be the parent. Yeah. Because the research tells us that young people do want to hear from their parents and other caregivers. They do want that. Yeah. So you wrote the book, The Parent Compass. Why? You know, what's the book's purpose, but why did you choose to write this book with Jen Curtis? Sure. That's, that's, the kind of million dollar question. So in early 2019, if you remember turning on your television, all you saw there in the education world was the college admissions scandal. It was uh, also known as Operation Varsity Blues, parents behaving badly and off the rails and just shocking. And Jen was my first phone call. Uh, The two of us talked for a couple of hours and just felt this gut punch when we saw you know, these kind of terrible things that parents um, were doing and, and a crooked college counselor to really manipulate and, and um, you, know, you know, mess with the system um, of, you know, holistic college admissions. And we just felt so much pain for the kids of these parents and what that must have, the message that must have sent to them. And so the two of us started talking about our own clients, which we often do, you know, confidentially between one another, because as colleagues, um, you sort of share information when you're going through difficult things with, and, and college counseling is kind of a quiet, um, one-on-one sort of lonely business. So when you find a trusted mm-hmm. colleague, you can share that. And um, we started realizing that, you know, there were these kids that were coming through our office that really did seem, you know, together and happy. And for the most part, um, you know, to be getting through this process, you know, not terribly scathed. But then we saw a lot of kids that were also um, displaying signs of depression, anxiety, listlessness. And we started to sort of make this connection between the way that some of these kids were parented and how it was affecting our clients' mental health. And so Jen and I really set out to write a book of parent etiquette, um, Mm -hmm. how parents should behave during these years. And The book is tricky because it's very counterintuitive. So typically parents want to fix, help, 
throw, you know, um, solutions onto things with their kids in order in some ways just to kind of show their love. It's like a way that we try to show our love by doing. And what the book is asking us to do and what the data is telling us is that often by pulling back and by letting our kids fail, by letting our kids go through this journey, knowing that we're side by side and not controlling and manipulating and managing every aspect of their lives, it's giving them these better life skills and it's making them feel happier and like they have a voice and like it is their journey and not our vicarious journey. So the book was really meant to do two things. Um, one, to help preserve the mental health of these teens and tweens as they you know, spend the final years most likely in our homes, unless they come back. <laughs> and the second thing is to try to preserve the parent-teen relationship, which is also very tricky during these years because our kids wake up with all sorts of hormones raging, as you know very well in your work. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so we are really trying to accomplish those two tasks. And so we created this plan called the Parent Compass. And it's really, we consulted experts, uh, thought leaders, the data, fellow um, college counselors, therapists, heads of school, deans of admission, um, and even teens themselves to put together kind of the most useful tools and what we think are the most effective ways to navigate these years in a healthy way. And it requires a parent to read and be a little bit brave to try some of these things. And they will surprise themselves that many of them will work, not for every student because they're all different, but they, they really do uh, change the complexion and the dynamic and the conversation between parents and teens. And we've heard time and again from our readers how helpful the book has been. So we feel really good about Excellent. it. <laughs> Excellent. So what are two or three ways that adults can navigate their preteens wellness or teens wellness? Yeah, it's a great question. So something I referenced a little bit before, but would really be um, one main takeaway from the book is to really see your teen. Okay. Like really appreciate and see them for who they are and what excites them and what they bring to the table in terms of not just their personality and the way they communicate, but what excites them. And oftentimes this becomes tricky with parents when your kids have very different interests or very different academic styles or really just different personalities than you. So how do you lock in and, and build that connection and build that relationship and let them know you really see them? It's really getting to know your teen and what excites them. And some parents will say, oh, my kid does is scroll on the phone or all my kid does is play video games. <clears throat> and I say to those parents, sit right next to them and ask them what they're looking at and take a look mm -hmm. at the apps and, and have them show you the funny videos that are making them laugh or the videos that they have questions about. And if they have a particular favorite video game, learn how to play it, have them teach you and sit down next to them and say, why do you like this game so much? Show me, I have, you know, never played it before. Or, you know, if they have just an interest that's very different from yours, ask them about it. Let them tell you, they, they, the, the data tells us that we should be doing 80% listening and 20% talking as parents. So we have a whole chapter on listening and asking good questions. And uh, so that's another way that I think we can really let our kids feel heard. So we want them to feel seen. So I guess the visual sense, and we want them to feel heard. And by feeling heard, it's us not putting the words in, but it's us really being great listeners. That was one of my bigger challenges. As you can see, I'm a talker. So um, Jen is very good at this as having a counseling background. And we go through the book on really good open-ended questions to ask how to respond to our kids when they have a problem, which isn't just to say, oh my gosh, first do this and let's do that. And let's write an email. It's to listen, reflect, 
nod, say, tell me more, empathize, obviously give them good eye contact, put down our devices when they're, you know, talking to us seriously, and then ask them the role we want them to, that they want us to play. You know, would you like to brainstorm it together? Would you like me to sit with you while you write an email to that teacher? Um, gosh, that sounds really terrible. Let me tell you about something that happened to me that was similar. So give them some story about your own life, showing that you can relate and connect. So we sort of go through and we, we consulted the best question askers in the country. And we took the best questions that you can ask your teens so that when you get in the car and when you pick them up and when they get home from school and you, you know, when they walk in the door, you don't just say, how is school today? Because usually you get one word answer or an eye roll. So there's a whole list of about 40 or 50 great questions. Like, for example, um, what, what it was your tennis ball today? And what does that mean? Well, what's the thing you chased the way a dog would chase it? What were you going after today? Or do you have a theme song of what your day was like today? Um, and then you can start talking about music with your kid and they'll tell you some lyrics of a good song. You know, different, different ways to ask questions more creatively. Table topics are great. You have your puberty prof questions as well. So you know how that interaction works. Anything that kind of can be good engagement. So those would be maybe two. And then maybe the last would be to really let our kids take the lead. Um, to understand that it's not our journey, it's their journey. So we had our turn to be a teenager, uh, for better or for worse. And I'm sure we made a lot of mistakes along the way and have some regrets or things we wish we did differently, but it's not up to us to relive that through our teen. It's up to us to just, you know, sit next to them and consult with them, not manage them and, and appreciate the teen that they are. I love that how you, you say in the book that to model how to ask questions, because something that I've discovered in the research I did years ago is that parents will say, well, I want to be this approachable parent in which my child can come up and ask me anything, yet we don't often model it. And we have to model that for our young people, because where else are they going to learn that skill set? Yeah. It's, um, it is, it's really interesting. I think, um, I love this book by Kelly Corrigan, um, called tell me more. Um, and it's the title, but it's also a book that is broken down into chapters actually of, of true stories about her and her life, um, parenting two teenage girls and the idea that, you know, everyone always has something more that they can tell you if you just ask them to tell you. So nodding and saying, mm -hmm, and tell me more is just a great way to kind of get more, get more out of our kids. And <clears throat> I think the question asking also just shows that you're interested, you're curious, that you care, that you, you know, hear them and, um, and really see them. Well, what are some of the things that you recommend preteens do to navigate their wellness? <clears throat> I love that question because it's really about the kids, right? The kids and their wellness. And so, right. One of the first things I would say, um, you know, talking to a, to a 12 or 11 or 13 year old would just be what excites you and what do you like, how do you like to spend your free time? Um, or what are the classes that really excite you or the teachers that really excite you? Because sometimes kids will say, oh, I love English. It's my favorite subject. And then they have an English teacher one year. That's not so great. But then suddenly science becomes wonderful, something they've never talked about because there's a very inspiring teacher. And so I would say um, connecting with your kids on what excites them academically and what excites them in their free time. And when a student tells me, you know, oh, I'm in this club or I'm in this organization and I follow up by saying, oh, what do you do in that club? Or tell me more about it, about the time you spend there. 
And if they can't articulate it or they say, well, it's actually kind of boring and I'm only quote doing this for college, I immediately say, find another activity, <laughs> find mm -hmm. something. Time is limited. Find something you enjoy doing. It doesn't mean you're going to enjoy every moment of it. So practicing on a team, you get exhausted, you get injured, you get tired. You don't always want to go to practice, but if you really enjoy the camaraderie of the team winning and losing and going through those life's lessons, then stick with the team. But mm -hmm. if you are in a club and you're just sort of going there and not really doing anything and it's a waste of your hour, then do something else with that hour. I mean, take a walk or read a book or, you know, listen to a song, you know, as opposed to being somewhere and sitting still somewhere where there's not a lot of meaning for you. So I think for teens, it's finding the things they enjoy and we can help foster that as parents. We can help expose them to things or help facilitate their interests. So I talk about a student in the book who went to summer camp and discovered the flying trapeze. Um, it was something she really enjoyed hanging from a trapeze. And she came home from camp and said, I really want to keep doing the trapeze. She was not a gymnast particularly or heading for the circus, but she really loved the thrill and the excitement of the height and the, the daring of that. And so her parents found a place, you know, it was like 45 minutes away, a circus center where she could go, you know, once a week and swing from the trapeze. And it was a commitment. Um, signs a little random, but it's just an example of if your kid has an interest and you can help foster it or find a place in the summer where it can be fostered, then those are the, those are great roles that we can play. Even if they don't interest us at all, even if it's something that scares us or we don't think is worthwhile, it's really, again, not our journey. It's their journey. So I think that's one great thing teens can do. The other thing for teens can do just as much as parents is to really build in time for their mental health and time for their, you know, um, self-care. And for some kids that is scrolling through their phone kind of mild, mindlessly, but um, getting outside is one of the best things they can do. Getting some fresh air, whether it's walking the dog, taking a jog, taking a walk, taking a run with a friend, without a friend, taking a long shower, taking a bath to music, you know, whatever they can do to kind of free their brain and relax and take in clear oxygen and, um, you know, just reset because these kids don't have that built in. Right. Um, so they could schedule that into their own lives and we can help encourage that. There's a wonderful book out called 24 six by, um, a, a fellow colleague author named Tiffany Schlain. And she did a 10 year, now they're probably on their 12th or 13th year study of what they called tech Shabbats. And every Friday, at sundown, they would turn off every electronic device, televisions, phones, they Very wouldn't good. ride in the car, whatever it might be. And not until sundown Saturday would they turn the devices back on. And her family did this for 10 years. Now we could start smaller and do it once a month or twice a year even, <laughs> but really trying to do that disconnection um, created time for her family to have creativity, to have her kids actually looked forward to that 24 hour period. And she writes all about it in this book, which is really wonderful to, and, and it also is data supported. So um, I highly recommend taking a look at that too. That's a great idea. Cause I know I had a guest on to talk about um, like tech free day and why that's important. And I always talk about like you, we need to disconnect from technology. It's just, it's healthy for everything. Our brain cells, all that. Yeah. Um, if I can go back to your book in which you noted the, the concept of helicopter parenting and snowplow parenting, which I'm very much aware of, would you define for our listeners what 
these things are and then how we can make sure that we limit this behavior in a young person's life. Right. So we start with those terms pretty early on in the book to define them so that parents understand and can either see, unfortunately, parts of themselves in those definitions (laughs) and things they want to fix. So I think the first thing I'll say is most of us have been on the sidelines of a, of a sports event for kids or at a back to school night um, where parents are there and we know who is that parent that we don't want to be. We go, oh my God, like everyone sort of rolls their eyes and takes a collective breath when they hear that parent yelling at the referee, yelling at the kids, asking the inappropriate question that only has to do with their specific kid and their specific need. And I feel a little bit like we really don't um, do a good enough job of you know, making sure that we also don't display those same things because occasionally they can creep in. So a helicopter parent um, is, you know, just basically the one that hovers around like a very low helicopter kind of monitoring and, and being, you know, having their themselves just hovering kind of over everything a kid might do. A snowplow parent is one that clears the path of, of snow so that, you know, there is not one way their child could fall or get injured or, you know, if they just sweep away all the debris along the way so that it's smooth sailing everywhere along the way for their kids. There's also tiger parents which you can understand what that would be that are kind of, you know, know, just really a little bit meaner maybe involved. And then um, there's the militaristic parent that is also, you know, you know, get up at this time, go to bed at this time. Here's how much time we spend doing this. And all of them sound pretty awful, right? Like when we really define them and what's come out of this is this term that we hear now called competitive parenting, where parents themselves are competing with one another using their children as like examples, like trophies or, you know, disappointments. I mean, for that matter, and they're doing it on social media, they're doing it at cocktail parties, they're doing it on the sidelines and it's really inappropriate too. So we have to sort of try to pull ourselves back and say, time out, what is going on here? Some of these people are definitely trying to, you know, relive um, their unhappy experiences through their kids. But others feel truly, like I said earlier, like they're doing this out of love for their kids. And what, by doing all this over-involvement, what it is doing is robbing and stripping our kids of their own voices and their own ability to self-advocate, their own ability to make mistakes and recover from them, their own ability to um, just kind of, you know, as Carol Dweck, you know, teaches us in, in her wonderful research, the idea of like, I'm not good at this, I'm never going to be good at this, but, you know, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm not good at this yet. It's going to, I'm just going to keep trying. And so parents sort of try to kind of smother their kids and we want to help remind parents not to do that. And we've all been guilty of it at some point. So again, Jen and I in the book um, go through case studies of students we've worked with. We, um, we talk about the mistakes that we've made personally and how we want to try to remedy them or how we are remedying them by trying to follow our own parent compass. And we really use this current compass as a reminder, like a tangible reminder. In fact, Jen gave me this wonderful necklace. I just posted on our social media for other people too, if they wanted to get one. I have a little compass necklace that Jen and I both wear um, to remind us as a tangible reminder to kind of stay the course and keep following this sort of compass to kind of get ourselves out the other side. And um, I think everyone has the same goal for their kids, which is you want to raise nice, happy contributing kids that aren't the bully, that aren't the, you know, the, the messed up one, whatever it is, but they're, again, they're not robots, they're human beings. So the best we can do is just let them know I'm here. I see you. I support you. 
I can relate, even though I'm really old. Let me tell you a story about when that happened to me. And I will say aside, hopefully no teens are listening. If you need to make up a story, make up a story. I mean, you know, make up a story about something similar that happened to you because it makes you real and human. And what Jen and I did when we finished the entire book and we read the galleys is we realized we were missing a very important chapter. And we created a chapter to become chapter one of the book. It was the very last chapter we wrote because we realized that all of us as parents have all this baggage from our own childhoods. And unless we kind of come to terms with it and can kind of put it aside and you know fix ourselves, we can't help our kids. So we created a questionnaire um, and I we encourage parents to practice this questionnaire. It's about two pages of questions. And then the, uh, for them to kind of go back and say, what was your educational background? What was your partner's educational background? How, what kind of student were you? How did your parents parent you? What are your views on education? Um, you know, are you the good cop or the bad cop or neither? You know, those kinds of things. And then we ask teens to weigh in. And there's only one page in the book where the teens need to weigh in. And we ask parents to do this one exercise. And the best way to do it is to say to your teen, find a moment when you've just made brownies or something yummy. And when they don't have their devices and when they seem to be in a pretty pleasant mood and the first words out of your mouth should be, hey, I wanna be a better parent to you. Can you help me? And yeah. they freeze in their tracks when they hear you say, you wanna do better or you did something wrong. And they go, what? And you say, yeah, I want you to do this questionnaire with me. So that together, you know, I can learn how to parent you better. I'm always trying to do a better job. I'm not perfect. And when kids hear that, they kind of, their ears prick up and they go, oh, yeah, yeah just show me the questions. And mm -hmm. the questions for the kids are really eye-opening about, you know, what do you wish your parents knew about you and what you're doing? What do you wish your mom or dad did differently when it came to homework or restrictions or whatever? And it, it it's just a way to have a conversation. And then you use that information to inform the way you parent that child. And if you have three kids, they're gonna answer the questions three different ways. So, you know, we, we really try to cover all the bases. The Parent Compass is a book you can read in a weekend and start on Monday to apply, you know, and try some of the suggestions and strategies that we have in the book. And, we, and we, we've heard from book clubs and from people who have done this um, that, you know, it's working for them. So that makes us feel good. like. Like it is, you know, we've distilled it all down and broken it down, um, sort of like the what to expect when you're expecting, but for between mm -hmm. and teen years. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, as we're coming to the end of our time today, is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners? Uh, well, something I just referenced is um, book clubs, because mm -hmm. we were surprised the Parent Compass um, wasn't really written as a book club book like that you would sit down and talk about, but there became a demand pretty quickly. And so we did create a book club uh, guide that can be Excellent. downloaded for free off of our website. And um, in, in our second printing of the book, our third printing, I think the there's a book club guide folded into the back. So if you have an older mm -hmm. copy, you may not have it in there. So it's, it's added into a newer printing. And I would encourage families um, to just get together with a few like-minded parents um, from their schools, from their communities, from their church, from their, you know, Bunko group, whatever it might be, and choose the Parent Compass as a book club read. And it really will elicit great conversations and community and camaraderie. And what you need is to build a village as parents in your corner mm -hmm. of a couple like-minded parents. I always say it's great to have a parent that's ahead of you by a couple years. Um, and sometimes it's great to have a parent ahead of you by a couple of years, even at a different school. 
so that mm -hmm. there's not that, you know, tense, um, you know, piece of your kids are kind of in the same space going through the same things. But anyway, it's not required. And what I would say is read the book with a group of people and talk about it and use the um, downloadable question guide to kind of help spark conversations between parents and you will feel supported and you will feel heard mm -hmm. and not alone, much less alone. And, um, you know, we, we have, uh, an opportunity if you go onto our website to message us and we'll pop into your conversation from zoom, or if we're there locally, we'll show up at your book club conversation and, and, um, and join in the conversation, which is also really fun. So if that interests you, we, we do that for anyone who reaches out. I love that idea of a book club. Cause sometimes we only think of fictional books for yeah. book clubs, but why not uh, family help books like what you have certainly my book too so I love that idea so much Cynthia and because you've mentioned the website or how to reach out like you can that people can reach out to you how specifically would you like anybody in our audience to reach out to you yes thank you so you could find us at parentcompassbook.com it's all one word but the best place to find us with that's really current and just keeps getting updated is on social media at Instagram at Parent Compass and Facebook on The Parent Compass. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Parent Compass One. And you could find us on LinkedIn with our names, Cynthia Muchnick and Jen Curtis. But I would say also the parentcompassbook.com website um, will also houses the podcast we've been on and where we're going and events that we're doing and things like that. There is a newsletter that doesn't come out very often. So if you subscribe there, you won't get a lot of junk mail from us. But um, I would say, yeah, follow along, private message us. Um, you can also order books really from any platform, support your indie bookstore. And if you want, we can send you signed book plates or you can order the books directly through us and we can um, you know, personalize them. And the, the thing we love the most is speaking at schools and businesses. Okay. So please invite um, me or me and Jen to come and, and bring our books with us and, and share the Parent Compass message with your community. And we hope it's well received. Wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing so much of your wisdom. I, I will make sure that in today's description that there is reference to your website as well as how to follow you on Twitter, et cetera. Uh, so I, I appreciate you sharing that information and I encourage any of our listeners to connect with Cynthia or her co-author of Jenna Curtis. So um, would you like to say a, a final word to our audience before we end? Sure. I'll give the quote. I think we opened the book with this quote and, and I give it a lot of presentations. And the quote is adolescence is a period of rapid changes between the ages of 13 and 17 a parent can age as much as 20 years. <laughs> so Very that was on my refrigerator good. growing up. And sometimes I hand it out as a sheet for you to put on your own refrigerator. It's on our website. It's at the beginning of the book. You know, adolescence is tricky, um, but it's also incredibly rewarding. And these young people that we are raising, they are going to save our planet and change the world. So let's, you know, keep them mentally healthy and, and feel seen and heard and supported and loved. Um, so go love your teenager, <laughs> give them a hug, Wonderful. even if they pull back. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much, Cynthia, again, for being on today's episode. And to our audience, I encourage you to reach out to Cynthia through her website, through the Facebook group, et cetera. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to reach out to me at pubertyprof at gmail.com or pubertyprof.com. That's my website. And I thank you so much for listening in. Hopefully you gained a little bit more of a tool, like more information to create as a tool so you can uh, have a compass, a stronger compass to navigate both your life as well as your young person's life and to help them figure out how to navigate. So thank you again, Cynthia, for being here. And to our listeners, I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow The Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by The Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.